Welcome to this week's episode. In this one, I have a conversation with professional snow machiner Corey Davis. Corey's been riding a sled since before he could walk. At least that's what his parents tell him. And it's an easy thing to believe if you've ever seen him on a snow machine. Dude's a natural. Fast forward to 2007, and he's competing in the X Games at 18 years old. Today, he holds six X Games medals in long jump and speed and style, and a first place win at Iron Dog, the longest snow machine race in the world. In addition to competing, he co-produced Winter Project, a documentary about backcountry snow machining in Alaska. Okay, time to give a shout out to the Crude Company men. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Shane Robinson, Sharon Liska, and Scott Liska. Thank you to everyone for your support. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. If you'd like to subscribe and help this podcast keep going, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. And if you have a chance, a review on iTunes also helps a lot. Real quick here. I want to give a shout out to Evan Phillips of the Fernline podcast for showing me the best way to record conversations remotely, which has significantly opened up who I'm able to podcast with. Alaska is a big place, and it's impossible to connect with as many people as I'd like to on a small budget. And this has greatly increased my reach. So thanks, Evan. I really appreciate it, man. Okay, back to Corey Davis. I called Corey after work the other day, and he hooked a mic up to his computer and the conversation began. One thing I learned in the course of this conversation is how many riders are actually involved in professional snow machining at the highest level. Corey estimates there are only about 15 people who can show up to a competition like the X Games and not embarrass themselves or their sponsors. He goes on to explain that, in a lot of ways, snow machining is dying as a professional sport because the entry point is so expensive and the competitions are so few which is a big reason why he started to focus a lot of his energy on producing snow machine videos. So here he is, Corey Davis. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Let's get... The hardest questions out of the way first, Corey. Snow machine or snowmobile? Uh, man, I, I grew up uh, I grew up Alaskan, born and raised, and so it's snow machine up here. But I've uh, definitely found a uh, pretty good ability of um, uh, picking when I say it. I mean, uh, you say it down in the states. I remember going to I went to middle school down there for a season. Uh, when I was racing and I would say snow machine and come to find out half the kids thought I raced snow blowers for the whole time I went to school there. So, um, I, f- I found out pretty quick. It's just easier to call it by their layman's terms whenever, uh, whenever in that position. So I call it a snow machine or a sled. All right. Well, welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So you had a daughter pretty recently, right? Yeah. Her, uh, her birthday was actually yesterday. So her first, first birthday. Right on. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty fun year. Has your life and priorities changed at all? 
Uh, you know, no, I think I'm pretty fortunate in the fact, uh, you know, my, my chick, Alyssa, we've been together, uh, almost 14 years, I think. So, um, pretty like rock solid there with her. I could see, I could see a kid being a, uh, she's a great mom. Um, and, uh, you know, we're fortunate in the position that we're in that she's able to stay home and, and raise her. So, and, and, you know, daddy, daddy gets them bucks. So, um, (laughs) I mean, we're, we're fortunate in that regard. And, and she's, like I said, she's a great mom. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I definitely, uh, uh, I, I definitely think twice about, you know, long trips and stuff like that now, um, you know, being away from the kid, just especially like at this age, how fast they're growing. But, uh, no, man, my priorities really aren't any different, uh, and life really isn't even that different. I mean, a little more planning with things, I guess, but, uh, it's, it's all been, it, it hasn't been too much of a shock. That's for sure. You know, one thing that I was thinking about is that snow machining is just inherently dangerous. Does that factor in at all when you go out now? You know, you're considering your daughter, you're considering your wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always, I've always been a pretty safe dude, like with, you know, race and motocross and everything growing up, I was always probably uh, like overly cautious compared to like probably most people. So, um, I, I don't really know how much really different. I, I don't think I am any different in how I think about things. I just, it's just kind of how I've always been. I've been kind of a reserved, uh, more calculated with everything I do. So you work at Davis block concrete, right? Yeah. Davis block and concrete. So my, my dad, his brother and uh, cousin started it when I think my dad was 16 when they started it and he's just turned 60 the other day. So, um, he's now the sole, uh, well, he was the sole owner and I just recently came, uh, uh, partners with him. So, he, you know, he's working on his way out and I'm working on, on it just being my, my gig, I guess. So, uh, trying to, trying to learn everything I can from him and, and, uh, gain as much knowledge from him. I mean, he's always going to be, I think anything with like a, um, you know, a, a business owner and a, and a, somebody that started it, especially it's been their whole life. I don't think he's ever going to be quote unquote retired. You know, I think he's always going to, he's always going to have his office here and, and swing in when he's home. But, um, you know, looking, I'm looking to let him be able to take as much time off as he wants, I guess. Maybe that's the best way to say it. So how does snow machining factor in? I mean, fortunately for that, I guess that it's, a, you know, it's a summertime construction thing for the most part. Um, and we, even when we are doing stuff in the wintertime, we're, we're, we're dramatically slower than we are. Um, and I've been trying to kind of shift as much as I can to just being home, you know, with X games and all that stuff. I was, you know, two, three months in Yakima training with Frisbee and Parsons and, um, uh, you know, the past couple of years, uh, I, I really have just been trying to stay home. Ultimately what I'd like to be able to do is just kind of ride the mountains and make content, stay away from X games and, that stuff not that i i don't have any ill will towards it or anything but it's just a gigantic amount of energy that goes into that for something that isn't uh sometimes isn't worth it i guess to put it uh for for me uh, you know the sponsors care about it a lot i think but you know our events come and go every year there's no it's not like you know pipe for skis like we just you know one one year we've got uh, speed and style and freestyle and the next year it's best trick and 
um, you know, who knows, long jump or whoever, you know, it just kind of, it, it bounces around so much. It kind of takes the stability out of it. And it's hard to really kind of plan your winners for that kind of stuff. That's crazy. I didn't realize that. So it's not consistent. So one year it'll be snow cross and then the next it'll be like big air. Yeah. I mean, they, they pretty much, I think snow cross is gone and it kind of what's happened there with, with, uh, X games there is that they've, they've brought in a lot more music events, like free music for getting people. Like, I don't know how many people that are listening to this have been to Aspen, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so they've tried a lot to get people to come to Aspen, like putting on, you know, really like mega name concerts for free but that that requires a pretty good amount of space on a situation that was already kind of cramped to begin with and so uh we've seen like that whole like snowmobile side of or see here i'm doing it already that snow machine side of the uh the event is kind of losing its uh space and uh the one thing that snowcross did was uh, a lot of semis so (laughs) you know a lot of semis take up a lot of space so um and I don't really know where those decisions get made on, on what stays and what, what goes and you know that's a, that's a company owned by Disney, so you know who who knows how high up that goes. Mm-hmm. How drastically have you seen X Games change over the years? Yeah, I don't know, man. I I grew up watching, you know, Pastrana trying to, you know, backflip into San Francisco Harbor, and back when it was pretty like, you know hardcore probably isn't the best word but you know it was pretty like raw i guess like you know true action sports and uh you know maybe just with like how culturally we're changing i guess like they have video game competitions now and stuff like that so i mean i've definitely seen a change a shift you know and um i mean they still it's still where the sickest stuff gets done or or you know a lot of sick stuff gets done i guess you know but uh it, I have seen it change and like the the snowmobiling thing I think there is just kind of one of them things where you know when we fit in we fit in and we're 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 kind of a we're a uh, we're a hard demographic to deal with man there's not very many of us that do that freestyle thing and um man snowmobiles are flighty <laughs> and so mm-hmm. you know you're talking about like I don't know man max 15 people of them 15 people out there that are like x games caliber riders that can come there and like not embarrass the sport so um you know i really don't know i think that's probably one of the biggest things for us is like with skiing and snowboarding there's just an endless amount of talent coming and with sledding there's you know little to no support for freestyle from the factories and uh and then just not a whole lot of people that do it it's a it's expensive sport to get into it's hard to build landings it's hard to build ramps it's hard to have a setup it's hard to groom them it just is a it's a hard sport to to get into you kind of have to be connected into that like construction have equipment situation otherwise it's really hard to just be like a a kid with no connections to to make that stuff happen how did you get into it uh well i mean we we are a construction company so like i got loaders and stuff like that that and gravel pits and things like that but um I mean, ultimately, like, I didn't really even do freestyle until, man, I don't know, I was in my 20s. I I, I had done a little bit of it here and there, nothing really too serious. And then I I got to a point, uh, I'd raced snowcross, um, like, professionally since I was, I think, I think I had a pro ride when I was 16. So I had spent 
every winter, all winter racing snowcross in, in the States. And, uh, I, uh, I hurt my foot really bad. I think I was 21 and, uh, almost lost my left foot. And I, I had to take the year off from snowcross racing. And, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't really miss it that I was sitting in Alaska with nothing to do. You know, my chick was down there being a monster chick. Even with all that, I didn't really have like this, like, man, I, you know, I'm missing out so bad. I wish I was at Duluth this week. And I just didn't have that. I was pretty content with being home, even being like in a pretty shitty situation. Like I was, I was banged up pretty bad. And, uh, I just really didn't have, I, I just lost the spark, I guess. And I saw that when I came back, cause I came back the next year and raced and I just was like starting to hate the Midwest and I just missed home so bad. I just wanted to be in the mountains. And, uh, so I just told the team, I was like, man, I'm, I'm done after this year. I got to do something else. And, um, I'd always like, I, I had ridden for freestyle. Like I had, I could do a couple tricks or whatever, but I always got kind of like nagged cause I didn't flip or whatever. So I, I just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give this freestyle thing a go. And at the time, like they were having speed and style every year. And I think at the time I even had maybe a couple medals in speed and style. So, I mean, I, I did have some tricks or whatever, but that was just like m very minimal effort I had put into it to learn those tricks. It all came pretty easy to me. And, uh, and I just decided I was going to, I was going to kind of go for it and learn to flip. And, um, I went to, hit up Parsons and uh, that's kind of how we started you know all me and Frisbee and him all started living and training together there in Yakima and so you said doing flips do you remember the first was it a backflip yeah no yeah that's the only thing I've done and yes I remember it because it was the worst month of my life I don't think I slept the entire time I had like I had amped that thing up so big in my head that it was to the point where I didn't think it was even humanly possible to do it. I'd, I'd sat there the night before I did it into the foam pit the first time and watched videos of Thacker and every single person I could think of that had ever flipped, watch videos of them and just trying to like t convince my dumb brain that it was in fact possible. And I think I did, I kind of did two into the pit and bitched out and threw it. And then the third one, I was getting out of the pit. They like, they like grabbed me and they were like, Hey man, like, you throw because i mean it's you know that's the one thing foam pits like they get this they have this like reputation that like you can't get hurt well you throw the sled away it's still a 550 pound sled landing on top of you it doesn't matter what is underneath you it's still hitting you mm -hmm. so it's still like really dangerous and uh, there's like the whole like foam pits burn to the ground all the time and sleds are like way sketchier than dirt bikes for foam pits like the you know the the foam gets in sticks the throttle wide open foam gets in the track there's all sorts of things that can happen that can cause fires pretty easily so they were just like hey man you got you 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 don't you bitch out one more time you're done and i was like yeah i, I agree i 100 percent agree like i'm not even trying i'm just i'm getting kind of upside down and getting scared and throwing it so the third one i rotated and it was the second best feeling after when i took one to dirt or took one to a frozen snow pile it was it was definitely the most mental thing I've ever done. It was it was really hard to convince myself that it was it was doable. Yeah, that's always seemed crazy to me. You know, I mean, you guys do the backflips, you do the flips on on snow, and then you also do it like on dirt. Yeah, like we actually in Yakima, we train on we would ride wood chips. So it doesn't really ever snow all that well. I can't say that. It's super hit or miss, but there was winters where it didn't snow at all or snowed like a couple inches. And so we would actually do like 
three feet of like uh, mulch chips on or mulching chips on top of the landing and uh, they bind together a lot better than snow there's they're softer than snow and they're easier to fix the bomb holes so that's a really like the hardest part with with snow is that it bomb holes out really bad where you're landing if anybody's ever watched the freestyle show you know we can only ride so long and the landing's got a big gigantic crater in it so we we do that but that particular winter it just happened to be extremely cold and um, a bunch of uh factors and i ended up having my first one was like I don't know. I mean, it, it couldn't, it was about as soft as a new sewer, the, the landing I went to. So, but that was kind of like, I kind of figured that's how it was going to go since I had, I'd hyped it up so much in my mind, it was going to be full consequences for the first time I, I did one. So. And so are you working on any other tricks currently? No, I mean, I, that was the thing too, is like, I, so I wanted to do, I wanted to learn to flip. Uh, and that was just like a personal thing with me. Like I, um, like Dane Ferguson always used to just give me shit. Like anytime we rode, it was like to the point where it was like, I didn't even like riding with him anymore. Cause it was, I'm just going to get hazed the whole time about me flipping. And so, and it was one of them things where I had a mental block about it. hundred percent I did. So I, I really wanted to do it, but you know, I found pretty quickly, like I didn't have any desire. I didn't have any desire to do like the, the gnarliest tricks. Like I, I wanted to do that flip for me. But I, you know, kind of after that, my, my, what, what I was focused on was speed and style, which is like half racing, half, half freestyle. So, you know, I wanted to be able to flip because I needed to be able to do that to like, you know, realistically be able to have a chance to, you know, podium or, or better. Um, and so I, I flipped and, and that was kind of like, I, you know, I was happy. I, I learned a couple like small flip tricks, but I, I never had really any, any, uh, any intentions of learning the bigger stuff. You know, one thing that I always think about when I'm thinking about action sports is what the the top tier pros have to do to remain relevant. What do snow machiners have to do to stay relevant? You know, it's a weird space. Like you look at the the most accomplished freestyle snow machine rider in the sport is Joe Parsons, a dude that didn't have Instagram or still doesn't have like an athlete Facebook page or a Twitter or and even on his Instagram, it's pictures of his cat and his family. Like the dude has like absolutely zero social media, but he's just an absolute savage on a sled. But outside of, you know, I mean, I know how good of a rider he is outside. I know that he's an amazing backcountry rider and everything, but like that dude, just his whole thing is just X games and that's it. So, um, I don't really know, man. I, I kind of like stumbled into the social media thing I with racing. Um, like, I was a, was a decent snowcross racer, but I was, I kind of had a bigger personality. Like I, I found myself around a lot of, uh, like a lot of Midwest, Midwest racers and like, and no, no, uh, not talking shit towards them, but it was just, everybody was really muted, I guess. Like, you know, like there was just, uh, there was no like personality involved in it. And I, and I, I really wasn't that way. Like I was, a I, I was who I am, I guess. And I'm, I'm not quiet. Uh, and then I started doing halftime shows while I was racing. And so like, I had this like crazy, like had maxed my Facebook out my, per well, you know, back then they only had, you didn't have an athlete or a, you know, there was only Facebook pages. There was no like verified pages or whatever, it, you know, just my personal page was like maxed out, you know, mm -hmm. kept, kept maxing it out, kept maxing it out. And so I had like this large, like social media thing before that was a thing, at least in the snow machining community. Um, and you know anymore nowadays like 
uh, I'm seeing like it's like it's kind of like the you know killed the radio star or whatever like it just like I don't know if it's the same in other sports but it just feels like the you you don't have to be the best your videos just have to be like clickbaity enough to get views um, and that's one thing that like I have a hard time with because like I, I definitely I grew up in like the you know like put up or shut up and like talent talent gets you stuff results get you stuff and you know like I cut my teeth you know doing all this racing stuff and that's how I have my my street cred with like the sponsors that I have is all the stuff I've done and it's it's odd I guess and it's not it's not like I'm not trying to to hate on it or whatever like but it, it's just odd seeing that coming to play now where it's like you, you know you have followers on Instagram and like nobody checks to see if they're bot followers it's just a really weird space right now there's this thing that I see it a lot in action sports where it's this um, this difference between core and corporate, right? Yeah. And it seems like being increasingly corporate has become acceptable, whereas at least in my experience in snowboarding back in the day, and it, I, I would imagine it's absolutely the same with snow machining, is it was unacceptable. You know, it was it was more unacceptable to be corporate back in the day. Yeah, and freestyle in particular, because freestyle was like the anti-culture. And that's why, you know, like I said, there still isn't like the support that I get for freestyle is because of my past in racing. It's my it's my connections I have from that. If it if I was who I was without the racing, I would still be buying sleds and and, you know, doing that. But, um, you know, my connections from racing are why I have the support that I have. So it, it is odd because it is, you know, freestyle was truly like the anti-culture. And, and I always looked up to snowboarding and skateboarding for that anti-culture and like the, the anti-corporate and, and, you know, sell out, you know, no sellouts and that kind of stuff. So um, it is, yeah, like it is odd to see that. What do you think about that? Do you think that core will be put back in its place or do you think that the corporate writer will trump them i don't know i mean i i guess it depends on on what kind of develops you know kind of what i see is like the next thing that kind of happens is like do people actually start investing a little bit more like intel into like what what do these views mean uh, you know do you get like the engagement you're getting out of this does this sell anything you know, does getting 70,000 views on something, does that mean one click through to like what we're, I mean, mm -hmm. where, where is that at? Because I, I don't, I don't see it as that valuable. I see it as, you know, 12 year old kids scrolling videos and, and looking at stuff and oh, that's cool. You know, I really don't know how much value is like a consumer. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's what sponsored people are there for is, is selling stuff. So I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think that there's going to be definitely a, uh, there's going to be a, an adjustment to that because I think it's over. It's he, it's weighed very heavy on like, especially with some particular brands, it's weighed really heavy on like what your social media and not all of them. I definitely will give some some of them credit that they don't put everything on that. But um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that kind of adjust and see where it goes from there. Because I mean that when I when I got my my gig with Monster and Cat and everything like there was no social media with any of my stuff like that wasn't even a talk and i know that that's not how it is nowadays so and so were you grandfathered in or do you did it get added to your contract 
No, I mean, like, I guess I meant more of like, there was no like talk of like, oh, you have this many followers. Um, that was just like a non, there was nothing. Um, I guess I don't even know if it's a part of my contract. I don't think it is. I think I, I don't think I'm like obligated for any certain amount of posts or anything like that, which that's something I've always had a hard time with is like the, you know, pushing, pushing sponsored posts and things like that was always like tough for me. Cause it just like, you know, I, I, I want to be, I want to be as like uh genuine as I possibly can. And I, I try to not, <laughs> not bring any bullshit to anything I do really. So, um, yeah, no, none of my stuff is like has a social media part. I mean, I think maybe some of my Arctic cat stuff has like a, you know, post about sled, you know, I have to post a sled or whatever, um, or, you know, on an Arctic cat. But I mean, that stuff happens authentically just with posting content. For sure. I, I think that there's absolutely a, an authentic way to do it versus a kind of sell out way. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that I've I've talked in the past with guys and and you know sponsors in that position has been making somebody post something uh, when you don't have content and it's clearly just a post to post is like that's the worst that's terrible like that's it my it's worse than not posting or way worse than not posting in my opinion so I've always tried to push that like the authentication of like what I try to do at least you know I try not to be corny and and try not to be you know. Hey, check out this new thing. It just, it, it rubs me the wrong way. It always has. So being from Alaska, do you think social media has helped you stay relevant? Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, cause otherwise we're an Island up here and, and, you know, without, without the, with the videos, like the sled videos going away, um, and that really not being a thing, social media is about, um, about it. And that's what I hope to be able to continue to do is, is, you know, pushing out cool content. So I guess I'm, in a certain sense, I'm kind of relying on social media kind of helping me through like the next stuff that I want to do. So, or, or, or some way of, you know, some form of it, I guess, but yeah, it, it probably, it probably definitely has. And, and, uh, you know, it's just a lot easier for anybody to, to pump content out and, and be on social media. So there's just, I think what it comes down to is there's, uh, there's a lot more competition. There's a lot more dudes that are out there, um, you know, gunning for those very, very, very few, positions that actually you know come with a paycheck in this sport so i mean it's a it's a dying sport in some ways like freestyle is you know it feels to me like it's on its outs um there's less and less young people coming up in it doing it for the reasons i stated and and not saying that the new people that are coming in aren't awesome there's some really good young riders that are coming up but uh I just think that it's, uh, you know, corporate doesn't want to touch that stuff, the the freestyle stuff. There's no real way for them to market that stuff. And I think the only reason that we've stayed relevant with corporate at all is just been the involvement with X Games. I think if it wasn't for X Games, we'd have a real hard time kind of justifying what we do to the to the manufacturers. So why do you think it's falling off? I mean, is it lack of videos, lack of culture, an increase in social media, distraction? I think kind of how I see it is I think it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a combo tornado there. There's like attention spans of everybody are way shorter. So it's like everybody wants to see it now. That's kind of half what killed the videos is everybody just puts, you know, I, I remember 
when videos on Instagram just came out, you know, we were like very particular on, or, you know, very limited on what we would post because we were saving it for a video at the end of the year. And like, now it's like, we do something sick. I'm, I'm putting it on in the parking lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, the other, the other side of that I think is, um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot easier to go out and do pal carves. And then that kind of stuff is more relatable to more people. Um, doing a backflip at X games is less relatable than, you know, four feet of sick pow and like a cool slow-mo shot and, you know, like rightfully so a cool shot. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people like to see stuff that are maybe like might not be stuff they can do, but it's close to what they can do. And that might just be more fun to watch for people. What did videos mean to you, you and your buddies back in the day when they came out? The, uh, like the turning and hardcore stuff, which is kind of what I started doing, you know, that for, it was more than just like that, that stuff had a lot of like cultural significance for us. Like that stuff was like the, the twins kind of had, they had like this. And this is Sebastian and Giles, right? Yeah. Sebastian and Giles, the twins. Yeah. They had like a, they had a cult following of people. They, they managed to like have a whole like generation of kids like that, you know, I guess I, I was, I was in high school. The first I was turning in five was my first video and I was a senior in high school, I think, or junior. And, uh, you know, it was like me and all my friends, all we used to do is watch those videos and like, you know, any chance we got in computer lab or whatever. And so I, I definitely see, you know, for us, and it was just like, you go, you know, there's might not be every kid in the school or every dude with the sled, but it was a lot of us. And then there's, you know, however many dudes all over the state that all felt that way. And you'd go to the, you'd go to the, the spring days there at turn again, man. And there'd just be hundreds of sleds of kids that are just dying to be in that video, just hucking carcass and like going for it. And I mean, it was honestly like, it was wild. Like, especially them last, uh, man, I don't even know what the, what the numbers are, but you no, know, when I got a little bit older, um, I mean, there was some wild stuff that got, was getting thrown down by just like, and, and no disrespect, like just nobody's, you know, dudes that had a race chassis and were just going for it. So it's pretty impressive looking back on it. And I, I'm really thankful that I was able to be a part of that, that whole scene. Cause it was, it was super cool. And it's like, it's to the point too, where it's like kind of borderline depressing now going, going up to turn again or whatever on a sunny spring day. And there being like three people in the parking lot, you know, cause back in the day, if it was, if it was sunny and sunny and warm, like jump building snow, I mean, you, like couldn't find parking spots. So it's, it's a, uh, it's pretty cool to look back on that. Do you think that turning in hardcore kind of brought everyone together? You know, it, it helped not necessarily create a culture, but it helped, you know, raise the culture up. Those, those dudes were definitely way more inclusive than, than, you know, I, I rode for sled decks and, and, uh, the other films and stuff. And, um, also way different. Like I, I was, I've, I filmed down three or four years in, in BC um, with, with Slednecks and um, stayed there for, you know, a month or two at a time and filmed and stuff. And um, definitely, like, you know, that was, like, way more of a, like, a know where the Slednecks. And then, um, you know, in turn again, it was, like, there was no you're not part of it. It was just, like, yeah, man, if you're going to jump it, go for it. You know, we'll, we'll film it and maybe you'll make the video. So they were they were way more inclusive than that. Um 
and I think it was it was really big for Alaska. Like that, it's kind of almost the same thing that's happening in Sweden right now with the Rough Riders. Like uh, they kind of took what they were doing and and ran with it. And I think it's it's the same thing that we were feeling up here as Alaskans, feeling so far disconnected from uh, the industry. I think the the Swedes are the same way. And now they got this video that they're, you know, they're they're pumping out this content and they're doing some crazy stuff. And and I think that that's helping them. And and they got just dudes that are willing to go out and, and huck and put in the work of you know gnarly days of shoveling and stuff like that and getting sunburnt. Like they've got the dudes that are doing that. So um, it just kind of takes a little bit of culture and a in a fairly large size group of guys to be able to kind of do that stuff because it is a lot of damn work to go out and build those jumps. So what needs to happen to revitalize the snow machine culture here in Alaska? I don't know the 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 jumping thing like I think that's always going to be an issue. It's it's hard to market that stuff, you know, and it's it, the 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 manufacturers don't don't like putting out content of like huge jumps. You know, they got very strict guidelines when they're shooting promo stuff of how high the sled can be off the ground because they're liable. You show some sled, you know, in a, in a branded Arctic cat ad, you show some sled going, you know, 80 feet and 200 feet long, like, and then somebody goes out and tries it and they're like, Hey, you said the sled can do it. I mean, they're, so they're, uh, they're pretty, uh, I think their hands are kind of tied. I don't even think it's at fault to them. I mean, everybody's so Sue happy now. So I, I really don't know like what it would take to bring that back. I don't even, I, I'm a little bit of pessimist when it comes to that. I don't even know if it's truly possible. Um, it, everybody, I, I guess I don't know, man. Maybe everybody's just stuck inside playing video games, but it, it doesn't <laughs> really seem like there's, there's a whole lot of like youngsters coming up trying to, trying to swing for the fences on these big jumps or whatever. So there's, there's some man. And I, I, I love seeing it. The young ones, like I have a whole group of young kids I ride with and I love seeing that, but it's not a very big group. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I think having grown up in the snowboard scene here, I feel like the same thing is happening here with the snow scene. Skate scene, I think has always been pretty small yeah, just because of, you know, the weather. Yeah. But I feel like snowboard shops and skateboard shops are the meeting ground yeah. for, for those two sports. What do you think is the meeting ground for snow machining? Yeah, you man, I, I don't know the, the sled skate shop thing, man. Like I, you know, I used to do all my school shopping <laughs> at your guys' shops. So I mean, like, I know exactly what you mean like that. There's just like a vibe. Um, but Man, I don't, sledding, that's a tough one, man. Like the, the sled shops a little bit, but like that Grom, like that young kid, like he doesn't have a brand new sled. He doesn't have much of a reason to be at the sled shop. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he's going to be annoying to the sled shop owners if he's in there hanging out all the time. So um, like for us, for me and my friends back in the day, it was just like in, you know, in our dad's shops or whatever or at the cabins and you know that was kind of like our thing so it's way more of like on a personal level i guess with you know way more local i guess i mean as far as like the you know there was no like big branch out like like you know running into somebody a skate shop that might go to a different school across town like you know around here in the peninsula where i grew up you know a lot smaller area so like the kids that rode 
you know, everybody in school knew the kids that rode. So we rode together, I guess, you know, when we had winter break or, you know, Christmas break or whatever, like we'd all meet up and go ride sleds and gravel pits and go jumping and stuff. And it didn't really matter what school you went to. And like motocross was always a good one too. like the, the racetrack and, you know, you, you run into the, all the people in the town that race or in the area that race. So, um, I guess there's probably not just a one-off answer for that, but with it being a smaller community, you know, you probably just kind of know who it is. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, social media is a great place for that too. I mean, I see it all all the time in a Facebook group that we have, like dudes like, Hey man, just got a sled. Want to go riding? And like nine times out of 10, he ends up linking with somebody and being able to go ride, which I think that's pretty rad because that to me being like almost like older would be tougher, you know, being a 30 year old dude and trying to find a, somebody to go ride sleds with. Cause you don't know. I mean, that's, that seems like more like impossible than little Grom's meeting up. So what is this Facebook group? AK snow shredders 2.0, but okay. it, it started as a joke. Uh, and, um, it's like 15,000 members and it's all Alaskans. So it's a pretty cool page for, um, you know, it works great for selling sleds and finding people to ride with. And, and, uh, the, one of the big things that we try to push on that thing is like preaching, like the trying to fight back, like the bro image of like sledders, as far as like, you know, from a guy that owns a diesel truck, but like the, you know, the diesel, the lifted diesel truck litter littering dude, you know, we try to like really make sure everybody knows like that's not what what we're about and then you know also being really trying to proactively preach the avalanche thing because it, it the sledding thing is tough it's so easy to be on so many different slopes and you know when you're when you're hiking to go you know ski tin can like you know what you're getting into you can dig a pit on that but on a sled you can be on a hundred different tin cans so we try to really preach the the Abbey forecast and, and, and help people out as much as we can with, with being safe. You know, I feel like avalanche safety has gotten much better. People are more aware of the dangers of avalanches now than they were back in the day. Oh yeah. I mean that the Abbey forecast or the CNA IFC or whatever, the, like that's a, I don't think that the, everybody really truly appreciates what that is like being able just to click on a website in the morning and like, with relative certainty know what you're kind of getting into um i mean that's amazing i i I can't i can't thank graham and that that whole group enough that's a that's a pretty cool thing that we have there with them and uh you know all the all the bad things that i have to say about social media or whatever like that's that's a that's a true like awesome thing that we have to be able i mean who knows how many lives have been saved from from do from them doing what they're doing you know like there's mm-hmm. from from me down here in the peninsula like it, you know i don't really know exactly why man but it's like this uh maybe because we can't see any mountains or something but there's like this kind of weird like uh willing like blindness to avies from here because it's like this we ride lost lake and the hills and you know don't go to turning all the time I, I don't know if it's just like my dad was one that took me a long time to to beat it into his head like uh you know i was like man back in the day you guys are you guys are riding these areas that slide but you know it snows five feet it takes you guys two weeks to get in there i said now we're in there the same day and it, you know the snow doesn't have a chance to set up so it's just a teaching and 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 learning you know i'm still learning and uh I think that's a great, that's a real great tool that we have there with them. 
Is there a difference between snow machiners in AK and snow machiners outside of AK? Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, like the, I haven't ridden a, a, a whole lot in the, the continental, like, backcountry scene, like Colorado and stuff. I would say those people are probably pretty similar to Alaskans. Um, but, man, it seems like the a lot of people, and I don't really want to paint with a broad brush here, but, you know, like in, in BC and stuff, those do, like the ski, snowboard, sledder triangle is way tighter. Like, you know, when I first started going in there, like I met Treadway and like met a lot of ski dudes and snowboard guys because the, the circles are the same. And I I don't know if maybe like on the BC level, it's maybe that just more people of a higher level, you know, kind of congregate in Whistler, if that's maybe what it is. Or to me, it seemed like, and I, I think another big factor with that is that if you ski besides at Blackcomb, you own a sled. Like there's no hiking in Whistler. Like you ride a sled to the mountains and ride your snowboarder ski, and then you ride a sled back to the truck. So maybe that's what it is more. Maybe it's more from the other side that the skiers are and snowboarders are more like sledders than we are like them or whatever. Um, and in the in the in the states, you know, you got Colorado and and Wyoming and Montana, a lot of cowboys and stuff like that, and those guys are pretty pretty similar to Alaskans. You know, anytime you get like seasonal jobs and a lot of them, I, I tend to see the same the same in people. You know, when you're you're off for six and on for six or whatever, it, it seems to kind of breed the same same sorts of people. That's interesting. You know, the the seasonal job aspect that you just pointed out. I mean, I wonder. I wonder what that is. Is it just because maybe it's the same type of work that we see up here? Yeah, you know, there, you know, you got fishermen and slope workers and and construction guys. I mean, that's I just described ninety percent of my friend group right there of you know type of jobs they have. So, yeah, I don't I don't really know if that's what it is. You know, you're like a you're a you're a workaholic half the year, and then you're like basically a hippie the other half. I, I don't really know if that's what it is or not, <laughs> but it kind of does seem like that. You know, you. Um, I, I really don't know how to describe it, I guess, but it, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, you just kind of gravitate towards people like that, it seems to be. That's great. I uh, I feel like you just described my dad. He's a workaholic <laughs> for, for half the year, and then he's just a hippie yep. for the other half. Every time that he goes to Hawaii or, you know, wherever else he's looking for waves, he always just rents, like, a van or something, and he sleeps in it right on the beach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I really wish I liked surfing more because it sounds like a pretty sweet way to spend the winter. Yeah, same. So uh, in 2017, your team won the Iron Dog, a snow machine race that follows the path of the Iditarod. For those unfamiliar with the race, it's the longest snow machine race in the world. What's it like to meddle in something like the X Games versus winning something like the Iron Dog? Yeah, that's kind of been like I talk about all this stuff, like how I kind of just get burnt out on something and try something else. Like I've always had like I've really enjoyed doing a lot of different things. Like I've really enjoyed um, all, you know, doing cross country, doing snow cross, doing freestyle. So um, I take a lot of pride that I'm, I'm a, a, you know, a, a multi-talented writer and, and can do, you know, so, something that's so different because there's about nothing that's the same on a cross country sled versus like a freestyle sled. So besides that there's snow machines, they couldn't be more different. So, um, 
you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that and I, and I enjoy being, um, being able to do both of those things. You know, I imagine it's pretty cool winning a heavy local contest like Iron Dog around your family and friends. It's got to be a little bit different than winning the X Games around a bunch of strangers. Yeah, you know, the the Iron Dog was pretty special to me uh, just because my dad's that's been his life for I don't know how old he was when he started, but he's won it seven times. And I mean, for as long as I've been alive, you know, it gets cold out and he starts working on iron dog sleds and practicing. So, you know, for my whole life, that's been his goal in the wintertime. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty, pretty big point of pride for me to win that. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was everyone there that, you know, all my friends and family, there was a little bit of a pardon me, there's a little bit of a dark cloud around it, but um, <laughs> with the drama that went on with it, and that, that definitely did, like, I'll, I need to go and, uh, and win it again and, tr- and feel feel what it feels like without that. But uh, there was a, it, it, you know, it, it was one of them, it was just so weird that it, it kind of was like a, a, a day or two later that it kind of sunk in, I guess, but. And what is this dark cloud you're talking about? So there was an issue with uh, we were in second place and the team in front of us got uh, disqualified for getting assistance outside. You're not supposed to have any help. And they got there's a section of the race that they allow for fuel to be dropped. You know, like a plane can drop you fuel um, Mm -hmm. or someone can bring you fuel. But anywhere else in the race, it's illegal. And they, you know, kind of made it pretty clear that they weren't allowed to help with the, you know, if somebody brought you fuel, they weren't allowed to help you with the fuel. And they had guys pushing down on the back of their sleds to burp the, uh, the sleds got air bubbles in them. And so to get all the fuel in the sled, they kind of had to burp this air bubble out by pushing down on the back bumper and it ended up getting them DQ'd. Um, and so it, uh, it's uh, it's one of them things where it really sucks because it's you know there was still a lot of race left, and by no means did they have it sewed up. So um, it's just a tough one because you know there's a lot of people that say that you know we didn't win, um, and I, I know I know how to feel about it. I, I'm 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 more than happy with the win. It was uh, it was one of them things that in the moment in the time there was just a lot of a lot of stuff got kind of ironed out after the fact after we got our our check and our trophy that kind of made it a little more clear but in the in the time that we were standing there on the podium it was it wasn't a it it wasn't definitely as fun as i think it would be uh normally so like i said i need to i need to win it again you know i think that's similar to like performance enhancing right if they're helping the snow machine burp that bubble right yeah like you guys in that situation weren't racing that race in the same way yeah and it's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff with that i mean they're they're that particular section of the race in my opinion should have been mitigated a long time ago because it's the only section that requires the more fuel like nobody has enough fuel for that section so it would be so easy for the iron dog to take fuel out 20 miles in either direction and just have like an express stop um, and eliminate this issue of like planes landing on the river or paying um, locals to run fuel out. And we never, you know, grow, I raced it with my dad and uh, and just with him helping me when I was racing it on my own too. It was like, you know, 
it's the same way I think. It's like, I don't trust anybody enough to let them ruin my race. So like we would just strap an extra fiver onto our running boards and that's what we did. And that's what we did that time too. So, you know, they, they had, you know, different cans that, um, you know, filled a little quicker than ours. And, and like you said, somebody waiting there with them unstrapped to hand them to them, you know, we had to unstrap them from our running boards, which all that is, is legal what they did. So I'm not saying that that wasn't, but you know, it's just a different, like kind of what you're saying with like performance enhancing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than like John Jones is probably the gnarliest dude on the planet, but he's gotten popped a lot. So, um, you know, how much of that is the performance enhancing and how much of that is just, he's just the gnarliest dude on earth. I, I really don't know. And so you said that you ran this with your dad, right? Yeah, I did it with him. Actually, the the winter after I got hurt, the year I didn't race down in the states, and we got third that year. So, so third place with my dad was pretty cool. It was surreal a little bit because it was my first run. So, um, and I was just kind of following a taillight the whole time. So it it was a pretty easy race, and it was the year that we got a lot of snow. So a lot of snow makes that race for the most part easier. Um, a lot less stuff to hit. So. What's it like being out there in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I was growing up around it, you know, with with my dad. You know, you hear all these stories and stuff. And um, I I think that like his generation that did that race when it started in 84 or whatever, I think those dudes are a lot gnarlier than what we do. We're going faster, but, I mean, those guys had compasses and maps. You know, we've got sat phones and GPSs. And so uh, if you look at it like it's a it's a, a real or not scary but it's like a pretty daunting thing to think of when you think of it as like a 2000 mile long race but really what it comes down to is it's a bunch of check stops that are 100 miles long so you're really going in between villages that are you know 100 miles or less so it doesn't feel near as in the middle of nowhere you know the the one exception to that is when you get on the coast that can be you know weather blows in or whatever that can be a little eerie but it's it's never too over you know i i I always like tell rookies and stuff i'm like dude, it's not what you think like you're gonna get out there and it's just like these check stops are just whipping by you know it's like oh there's one there's one you know you're just cruising through and it never really feels like you're in the middle of nowhere there's parts of it that are but then you know you come up on a on a on a check stop and there's there's people and planes and stuff and so it never really does feel too crazy to me and how long did it take you to do it oh it's it it seems to be it's like mid 40s is what it takes 40 hours something like that 45 hours of riding um it takes six days to do it but with all the layovers and everything i think it i can't remember what the record time is i think it's maybe 42 hours is the record right now and how fast are you going i don't know average speed's got to be like 60 plus or something maybe 70 and so when you're going that fast and it's dark out what if you hit like some chatter so like the the dark is actually I would take dark over flat, flat lights way worse. Uh, we run like rigid lights and, um, you know, have quite a, quite a bit of auxiliary lights on our sleds. And, uh, and when you're the guy in the back, you really just have to watch for taillight, make sure that taillight doesn't do anything too crazy. Flat light is by far the worst, like, you know, daytime, uh, cloudy, white out or what, you know, maybe even snowing and no definition. That's the worst. That's when you hit stuff that you didn't see. That's when you hit the bump that you didn't even know was there and you're not ready for it. Um, and then you're just kind of hoping that you don't mess anything up too bad. Um, but, uh, 
but I mean, the race is just a, a big variable. It's a it's a it's a six day long <laughs> roll of the dice kind of deal. So you mentioned hearing stories about the race back in the eighties. What kind of stories were those? Just you know, you're hearing about rebuilding sleds and all this stuff they broke and towing sleds for hundreds of miles and and uh, it, you know it just kind of over i think the course of my life it was just kind of it was built up into this like you know impossible task this race was you know larger than life kind of deal so when i actually lined up on the line to do it you know you don't i, I had never even been past squintna so you know i'm like i i don't know what to expect i've seen pictures but you don't really know what you're getting into and then you know kind of once i was in it it was like oh you know this is just just out for a ride you know it's just a it's a long ride that we we don't stop we don't go back to the same place we started so hang it's pretty awesome it is a pretty cool race man it's a i i recommend it to any any rider you know any sledders that do enjoy like the cross-country part of riding even if they don't race it to just do the trail class one time it's uh i i'm looking forward to doing the trail class um with some buddies here you know some one of these years do the and just kind of because i've never gotten to like enjoy it um you know you're always just going so fast but man there's some i've had some pretty amazing days out there like going through rainy pass and it's you know crystal blue clear skies and you know all you want to do is like stop and look around a little bit you know but it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty beautiful way to see uh alaska that's for sure what's the difference between enjoying it and racing it well, I always say that uh, you don't enjoy the Iron Dog till about a week after it because it, it sucks the whole time you're doing it. Your ass is chapped and you're cold and you got frostbite and, um, you know, there. It, it's, but it's like high quality fun. It's the difference between going on a roller coaster and doing the Iron Dog. You know, the, the roller coaster, you don't remember about it. But, you know, as soon as you get home and unpack from the Iron Dog, you're already talking about next year so. Uh, and I think that that race like really suits like workaholics, um, especially like construction guys and stuff. Cause it's like, you know, it's off season and it's just another something to like occupy your time with, you know, it's like, I can focus a hundred percent on this. And that's all I think of. it's the only thing I got to worry about is iron dog. And, uh, so it's, it's interesting to see, you know, all the different types of guys that kind of get wrapped up in it, but it's, a uh, it's it's just cool man it's just it's something so unique and it's you know it, it's kind of grown into something that's crazy that some of the work and some of the the hours and miles some of the guys put into this race is pretty impressive are there any like ogs that have been doing it forever that you're like oh there's you know there's so and so yeah my dad was that guy i he's only been not doing it for i think the year that i won was the first year he didn't race uh since like 84. So my dad was kind of the last, the Mohicans there. I think, uh, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple guys that are kind of getting up there, um, kind of with him, uh, not near that long, but there's some guys that have been doing it for a minute that are getting up there. But I think that kind of that had that, like kind of what you're saying. I think my dad was kind of the last one of them dudes that was from the, the old era, you know, the, the OG level. And what does he think about it now? I mean, with the changes in the weather, changes in the trail. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, the the weather thing. Like, I, I don't really know. I don't know how much of that. Like, that's a tough one because, like, I, I just don't. You know, I don't know. It's so different up there. I, I've gone through a section 
that was had six feet of snow and then the next year it had two inches so it's it's a weird and then you know two two years later it had six feet of snow again so it's a it's a really weird thing it just kind of seems like that race never is consistent no matter what no matter what it's doing it's not what it's done um and then you know with the I, I guess i don't i haven't bounced a lot of that stuff off of them i guess but um you know we we always talk about the 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 changes that we think should be made or whatever and and things like that and it's just kind of like a it, it's one of them things we always got the bullshit about that's for sure and that's rad that you are able to uh have this common thing that you do with your dad you know like he's been doing it since the 80s and he's able to share his passion with you yeah i think i was like more excited to win it because I knew <laughs> how much he liked it, you know, almost one of them deals is like it, it I, I think no matter how much I could love that thing, I think it's still always going to mean more to him. So uh, that was definitely cool. I mean, he's always supported me in everything I've done, but I think that he's uh, he's still like a racer at heart. Like, I think the freestyle thing is a little lost on him. And uh, although like, you know, he's not saying he's less less proud but i think it's just not his thing you know like he was a racer he didn't he didn't do any of that stuff so i think that the the racing thing anytime uh you know i do good in something like that i think that that really like drives drives it home for him that's so awesome so we've talked a lot about you being involved in competitions so far do you consider yourself a competition guy or a free ride guy yeah that's the thing the 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 sport as a whole, we really don't have comp. We have X Games, so I I would never consider myself a competition guy because I don't think one competition can make you a competition guy. We don't have like what ski and snowboard. I wish we did because I think that would be a great way to get more people into the sport. But uh, I don't even know how you do that. Like just like having the stuff to be able to practice and learn on it, it's really expensive to put on shows and to put on you know comps so um i'll always be a free ride guy that's where that's where my heart's at like no matter what my whole life i've always uh had fun going out and free riding and finding natural jumps and building jumps in the backcountry that's where i that's where i that's where my true love's at that's where i really love to be at that's where i i still am motivated to to be as you know in the backcountry and exploring and uh stuff like that so i mean that's kind of what i want to work towards i'm I'd like to just be home in Alaska. I, I live here for a reason. I love it up here. So, how often are you able to get out there and ride with your buddies? Anytime it's sunny or 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 the snow's deep. I mean, all winter I'm 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 available whenever the snow's good. So, when you're all out there, does it feel the same as when you were all kids? Yeah, I, probably just because I've never stopped doing it. It's still the same thing, you know. To me, it, it don't feel much different. You know, we might. Uh, I think my probably my biggest downfall is like I'm not really like you know I enjoy riding so much it's sometimes hard for us to like we should actually film this or we should actually get the cameras out like we just all want to ride so I mean that's the one thing I I I should probably get better at but I mean I, I just love riding I love I love doing all that stuff and love riding with my friends so you know we've been had a pretty awesome winter last year with some great snow and I hope we continue to see that trending to more, you know, maybe with the summer being so hot, that means we're just going to have nothing but deep snow. Who knows? But, you know, I, I, it's been nice the, having these good good snow years and definitely helps the dealers that have been through a couple rough years with, with low snow. So I'm, I'm hoping it keeps going that way. Kind of circling back around to you out there shredding with your buddies, do you have any specific memories of that? Maybe a time you're brought back to? when you think 
of maybe a perfect day? Yeah, I, I think for me still, I mean, the, the whole winter project thing was like such a like wild trip. And, you know, the last day of filming with that was probably like still my favorite day. Um, the last day of filming or the, the day with Parsons and Frisbee and up at, uh, Alieska when we shot a couple of those big jumps. I mean, that, that was just such like a, we were so like in over our head. We had people's money and the snow sucked and like, we just didn't want to, we, you know, we wanted to, my thing's always like under promise over deliver and we wanted to do that and we had kind of promised the shitload. So, um, you know, we, we were all so motivated to do something sick. And so kind of like any day that we went out and did something that like translated to good shots, that was like a pretty amazing day for me. And, um, I think it'll probably be pretty hard for me to beat that, uh, that like whole winter project experience. Like, cause you know, even if we, we do make another movie or whatever, you know, we're not going to do a crowd funding thing. So, um, it sucked, but I think having like that extra like burden of people's money on our shoulders, like I think that like uh, I don't think that movie would have happened had it not been that way. Had it been that we were just making a movie, we probably just would have made it a two year project. Um, but we didn't really want to deal with with the blowback of doing that because I I know how that would be perceived. So. Yeah, that's that's probably still that movie and and everything we did, and that's probably still pretty, you know, my biggest highlight, my you know, my best days out on the snow. For the people who may not be familiar with Winter Project, could you explain it? Yeah, it was a uh, an idea that we did with uh, Travis Smith and Kyle Darnbrio, uh, Hybrid Color Film, and we did a uh, crowdfunding thing on Kickstarter and raised like. Hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So it's like the most successful action sports video ever funded, and and uh, I had zero faith that it would work. I didn't think there was a chance in hell that anybody was going to sh- shove out money for that thing, buy a video that didn't exist. Um, and I thought if it did work, it would be like, you know, a bunch of people at five bucks or twenty bucks. And what it ultimately ended up being is like less people at way more. So like you know hundred something was like the average uh donation so that was pretty cool there was definitely a lot of like i met a lot of cool people that you know backed the shit out of that thing and that's pretty cool like pretty special to see like in a in a in a in a world where like everybody's a critic and cynic and everybody's a shit talker and 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 myself including in that it was pretty cool to have like uh have people you know strangers come together and 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 back that thing for us and and you know allow us to do that so i'll never take anybody's money like that ever again (laughs) but (laughs) it was super cool to do that's for sure was it just too stressful yeah man it it was just like we we got the money and then everything done after that was like uh we're spending people's money like travis bought a truck and we had it wrapped and it was like Oh, you guys, you know, fund the Kickstarter and get a new truck. And it was like, well, no, he just, he happened to buy a new truck and it was like, well, why don't we wrap it? So, you know, it was just kind of like, it's no different than borrowing a hundred bucks from your buddy and then going out to dinner or whatever, you know, like your buddy's going to be like, Hey, where the fuck's my money? So it kind of was like a thousand people like, Hey, where the fuck's our money? So, uh, I, I just, 
it's one of them deals. I, I'm just not the kind of guy that likes borrowing money. And so I, it, it felt weird doing that. But, uh, like I said, man, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm glad we did it, but <laughs> never again. <laughs> me, me, it's amazing that me and Travis are still friends after that. That's for sure. <laughs> did you guys have some pretty crazy fights? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was, I was a producer on it with him and he was like the lead, you know, executive producer, but I was in charge of like all the athletes and everything and, and like a producer and then a guy in charge of talent and like trying to like trying to tell them that either their ideas are stupid or unrealistic or whatever. And like after the 30th time that I told him his idea was retarded or whatever, like it just, it kind of got, you know, by the end of it, there was just no, like we were not holding back on what we thought of each other's ideas. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was good, but definitely one of them things where we can, uh, if we could get through that, we could definitely do anything now. Cause that was, that was just silly. And it, like I said, it didn't help that there was no snow. So it was just like everything was a complete challenge. You said that there might be another video. I've always have wanted to do another one, I think. Um, and I, I think that we might be moving towards that being more of a possibility. Um, there's definitely no like going to be no outside help, I don't think, for any from anybody or whatever. Like it, it just not kind of how the sled industry ever worked. So it would be a pretty like grassroots and like gorilla style video, um, which is what I like, but you got to have the riders. And I definitely think that like with the younger dudes that I ride with, um, there's, there's probably enough dudes out there ripping that we can make a good video. But you know, that's the thing is I want to make something cool. Uh, you know, I want to, you know, I, I want to always keep, you know, improving on what we do. So that's just the the thought, you know, going out there. If I if I if I don't think beforehand that we have like the 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 group of guys out there that can make something sick, then you know, it's probably not worth doing because people are going to be expecting something sick. So uh, I would love to do another one again. I think that I think Travis and Kyle probably share that. And really, really, what I think it would take is just like a good winter, just kind of one of them, you know, a, a good winter and a late spring late spring is pretty key because that's when we really get the the big jumps and and bang those out is when the weather starts being a little bit more forgiving and uh some longer uh days to shoot with you know the winter time is kind of rough to go out and get three or four hours of sunlight it's kind of tough to get much done in that so a longer spring would be pretty clutch do you have any idea about structure of of this video would it be a documentary like the last one or would it be something different if it was up to me, I w- it would be way more old school, like THC style, just showing, showing clips. I mean, probably not as like helmet on as like what the twins did. Probably a little bit more uh, personal and a little bit maybe not necessarily like interviews, but you know, a little bit more talking about maybe what we're doing and and you know breaking it up into maybe like parts of the winter or something. I guess um, not so much just like a writer's like segment, you know. Uh, cause I, I do think a lot of, as a kid that grew up watching that stuff, I always had so many questions and, uh, like authentic people talking about stuff. I would have ate that stuff up. So if I was going to do it again, I'd, I'd want to definitely show some helmets off and show a little bit of, a little bit of what we were doing and talking about it, I guess. But yeah, definitely not a documentary. Would you guys be talking about spots, like different zones as you're there, or would it be kind of separated by zones? 
Yeah, I guess I kind of see it more as like a, a kind of like a linear thing through the winter, you know, starting at the beginning and not really so much, I, I, you know, like not to ride his nuts too hard, but like kind of like Travis Rice's videos where it's kind of showing as the winter goes on. That's kind of what I would see it as. And because and, that to me as a rider, that's what how I would kind of want to watch it from early season into spring and kind of see the 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 progression go through through the winter i guess would probably be what how i would uh visualize it happening right on dude um so i asked the crude instagram followers what they would ask you and i think i got a few good responses jared bush asks what's your favorite place to ride in ak hmm i guess if we're saying snow's good everywhere uh hmm, probably like the squirrel flats area placer if i had to like say you have to pick a weekend and that's where you're, you you got to pick you don't get to know what the weather's going to be i'm going to say valdez because uh, you can kind of find good snow no matter what in valdez you can go to the go to the trees if it's blown in so i i love valdez i just hate the drive and for close to home i i, I love squirrel I, I love Lost Lake too, man. I, I don't know. They're they're all so different. I, I really don't have one, I guess, that I could pin down. But um, that's why I love Alaska because there's just so many different zones and, and I like riding them all. So kind of, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so Brandon Smith asks, what's your went too big story? Like a time you just shot the moon too hard. Oh, I, it wasn't necessarily too big. I, uh, man, this was like back in the Firecat days. I, I didn't really understand why I kept blowing my sled up, and it was because I had been given a certain brand oil from Sledneck's, and I. It took me a while to put the two and two together, of uh, why my sled was blowing up. But long story short, I I went to the the turn again to ride with the twins and film, and uh, uh sled blew up and it was like man really sucks i wanted to hit that jump and they had like their when they were like hard in it they had like a token like thc sled that they had like it was like a legit skidoo race sled that like they had every day with them for when one of the you know i was the only dude that rode arctic cat but like or one of the only dudes like everybody rode skidoo so it was like oh when you when you yard sell your shit grab that sled and just take it and go do whatever so granted not the most like well-maintained sled and uh they had a uh they have like a slipper gear in them in the chain case so like you don't blow the chain it's like a like a wound centrifugal clutch so when you like have a hard impact it like spins inside of the gear and doesn't just snap the chain okay and uh come to find out those were really notorious for going out in the skidoo like it would wear out and so like instead of like you know a situation where it would have break a chain and it would spin it would be like maybe like you landed kind of hard and then it would slip and so i hit this big step down up by world record on the top of turn again and hit the bomb hole like landed perfect and then going downhill hauling ass and like land and like bounce and like got to give it a little gas to bring the front end up and there was nothing there because the clutch or the the lower gear was slipping because the thing was worn out and caught the ski tips and like 
just ass over like i i kind of pride myself on not crashing a lot and just i mean absolute goon show like fr- like skis over bumper probably 20 times star fishing down the mountain so Jeez, that that's was gnarly yeah that was like a a bad day gone worse like blew my sled up and then just went and like starfish down the mountain so that's that's the, that's a pretty good one so fly fishing rick asks do you consider yourself an athlete uh not really i the i'm sure he's probably being a dick or whatever but um uh i don't know man i with like snow machining it's like all come like probably to like a fault of my or you know probably to my uh downfall like too easy to me um and so like i've gotten kind of where i'm at with with the exception of a couple years of snowcross racing like with like kind of minimal like quote-unquote athlete i mean i'm sure technically i am uh, an athlete but nowhere near on like the level of like you talk about like michael phelps or you know like guys like you know that do that kind of stuff no i don't think i am in that in that regard but um on a snow machine i think i am i guess but uh not when you put me up against other guys that are uh, well more athletic than I am. You know, and I guess uh, just to, just to give this guy the benefit of, of the doubt, um, I hear that about snowboarding, you know, where certain snowboarders don't consider themselves athletes because then they would be one of the competitors, you know, rather than the the person that's just doing it for the love of it. Oh yeah, and I didn't take any offense to it. I, I I don't I don't I don't even if he was or wasn't. I I'm not offended by it at all because um, I've been asked that plenty of times too myself. And and uh, you know I, I guess I don't know. I mean in the in the realm of like on a snowmobile, yes, I guess so. But in the big picture, no, I don't think so. And to close this out, <laughs> Ranch Dressen asks, "Is the Yodeling Kid remix still your favorite song?" Easily, no. Uh, it was for a minute, man. That slush cup, that thing was on repeat, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> what is that song? I'm not familiar with it. Oh, that yodeling kid that, like, he was, like, 10 or 11 years old and was in Walmart yodeling. <laughs> I don't think I've seen this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Google yodeling kid. It'll come right up. But then there was, like, a bunch of remixes that got put out. And then one year at slush cup, I, I locked onto it pretty hard and basically walked around slush cup with the bows in my hand the entire time listening to it on repeat so just blowing the spot up with the yodeler oh yep well walk walk back to the house in the middle of the morning you know middle of the night just blasting it and i think everybody was pretty worn out on me in that song by the end of the weekend <laughs> well right on dude well uh thanks for being on the show man i i uh i really appreciate talking to you man it's been great talking with you yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm happy to come back anytime. I want to bullshit some more. I'm down. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Not really, man. I, I you know, I, I just I appreciate having having a, a sledder on here and, and talking about what we do. And uh, like, there's just not a whole lot of stuff that uh, gets done like this for us. And I've been working on some of these of my own. So I'll uh, I'll have to have you on mine when I when I start putting mine out. Right on. Awesome, man. All right, you take it easy. Thanks, man. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats.